0: Section 66 of Tales from Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Samantha Miles. Tales from Dickens by Hallie Erminy Rivas. Charles Dickens. Charles John Huffham Dickens the master storyteller was born in Landport, England, February seventh, 1812. His father was a clerk in one of the offices of the Navy, and he was one of eight children. When he was four years old, his father moved to the town of Chatham, near the old city of Rochester. Round about are chalk hills, green lanes, forests, and marshes and amid such scenes the little charles genius first began to show itself he did not like the rougher sports of his schoolfellows and preferred to amuse himself in his own way or to wander about with his older sister fanny whom he especially loved they loved to watch the stars together and there was one particular star which they used to pretend was their own people called him a very queer small boy because he was always thinking or reading instead of playing. The children of the neighborhood would gather around him to listen while he told them stories or sang comic songs to them, and when he was only eight years old he taught them to act and plays which he invented. He was fond of reading books of travel, and most of all he loved the Arabian Nights and Robinson Crusoe. He had a great affection for Chatham and Rochester and after he began to write stories that were printed he often used to put these places into them it was at chatham that poor little david in the story david copperfield lay down to sleep when he was running away from london to find his aunt miss betsy trotwood it was to rochester that mr pickwick in pickwick papers rode with jingle rochester was really the cloisterham where the wicked choir master john jasper killed his nephew in the mystery of edwin drood and it was in those very marshes near by that magwitch the escaped convict in great expectations so frightened little pip it is easy to see that the young charles dickens noted carefully and remembered everything he saw and this habit was of great use to him all his life these happy years were not to last long when he was nine years old his father became poor And the family was obliged to move to london where it lived in a shabby house in a poor suburb before another year had passed his father was put into prison for debt the same prison in which little dorrit in the story of that name grew up a very bitter period followed for the solitary ten-year-old boy a time in which he long afterward wrote but for the mercy of god he might easily have become for any care that was taken of him a little robber or a little vagabond the earlier history of david in david copperfield is really and truly a history of the real charles dickens in london he was left to the city streets or to earn a hard and scanty living in a dirty warehouse by pasting labels on pots of blacking all of this wretched experience he has written in david copperfield and the sad scenes of the debtor's prison he has put into pickwick papers and into little dorrit even mrs pipchin of whom he told in dombey and son and mr micawber and david copperfield were real people whom he knew in these years of poverty and despair dickens life at this time was so miserable that always afterward he dreaded to speak of it and never could bear even to walk in the street where the blacking warehouse of his boyhood had stood better days however came at last he was able to begin school again and though the headmaster was ignorant and brutal—just such a one as Mr. Creakle and David Copperfield—yet Dickens profited by such teaching as he received. After two or three years of school he found employment as a clerk in a lawyer's office. This did not content him, and he made up his mind to learn to write shorthand so as to become a reporter in the Houses of Parliament for a newspaper. This was by no means an easy task. But Dickens had great strength of will, and a determination to do well whatever he did at all. And he succeeded, just as David Copperfield did in the story. And, like the latter two, about this time Dickens fell in love. He did not marry on this occasion, as did David, but how much he was in love one may see by the story of David's Dora. The theater had always a great attraction for Dickens throughout his life he loved to act in plays got up and often written to by himself and his friends some of his early experiences of this kind he has told in the adventures of nicholas nickleby at mr crummell's theatre but his acting was for his own amusement and it is doubtful if he ever thought seriously of adopting the stage as a profession if he did his success as a reporter soon determined him otherwise When he was twenty-one he saw his first printed sketch in a monthly magazine he had dropped it into a letter-box with mingled hope and fear and read it now through tears of joy and pride he followed this with others as successful signed boz the child nickname of one of his younger brothers this was his beginning he was soon on the road to a comfortable fortune and when at length pickwick papers appeared dickens fame was assured this was his first long story It became almost at once the most popular book of its day perhaps indeed the most popular book ever published in england soon after the appearance of its first chapters dickens married miss catherine hogarth daughter of the editor of one of the london newspapers who had helped him in his career many have tried to explain the marvellous popularity of pickwick papers certainly its honest fun its merriment its quaintness good humour and charity appealed to every reader. More than all, it made people acquainted with a new company of characters, none of whom had ever existed, or could ever exist, and yet whose manners and appearance were pictured so really that they seemed to be actual persons whom one might meet and laugh with anywhere. With such a success, and the money it brought him, Dickens had leisure to begin the wonderful series of stories which endeared him to the whole English-speaking world and made him the most famous author of his day. Oliver Twist came first, and it was followed by Nicholas Nickleby and The Old Curiosity Shop. In the first two of these stories one may see most clearly the principle that underlay almost all of Dickens's work. He was never content merely to tell an interesting story, he wrote with a purpose. In Oliver Twist, that purpose was, first, to better the poorhouse system, and second, to show that even in the lowest and wickedest paths of life—the life wherein lived Fagin with his pupils in crime, and Bill Sykes the brutal burglar—there could yet be found, as in the case of poor Nancy, real kindness and sacrifice. In Nicholas Nickleby the purpose was to show what terrible wrongs were done to children in country schools, numbers of which at that time were managed by men almost as cruel and inhuman as was Squeers in the story. It is good to learn that as a result of this novel an end was made of many such boys schools true artist as he was dickens seldom wrote without having in his mind the thought of showing some defect in the law or some wrong condition of affairs which might be righted no one could read pickwick papers or little dorrit without realizing how much wrong and misery was caused by the law which made it possible to throw a man into prison for debt nor can one read Bleak House. Without seeing that the legal system which robbed quaint Miss Flight of her mind, and kept poor Richard Carstone from his fortune till the fortune itself had disappeared, was a very wrong legal system indeed. Often, too, Dickens's stories are, in a sense, sermons against very human sins. In the old curiosity shop, it is the sin of gambling which brings about the death of little Nell. In great expectations it is a sin of pride which Pip has to fight. In Martin Chuzzlewit, the evil and folly of selfishness is what Dickens had in mind. With his increasing wealth, Dickens had, of course, changed his manner of life. He lived part of the time in the country near London, in Brighton in Dover, and in France and Italy. He liked best, however, a little English watering-place called Broadstairs, a tiny fishing village built on a cliff. With the sea rolling and dashing beneath it in such a place he felt that he could write best but he greatly missed his london friends he used to say that being without them was like losing his arms and legs the first great grief of his life came to him at this time in the death of his wife's sister mary hogarth a gentle lovable girl of seventeen no sorrow ever touched him as this did after she died he wrote years afterward, I dreamed of her every night for many weeks, and always with a kind of quiet happiness, so that I never lay down at night without a hope of the vision coming back. Hers was the character he drew in Little Nell in the old curiosity shop. When he came to the part of the story which tells of Little Nell's death, he could scarcely write the chapter. When he ended it, he said, it seems as though dear Mary died but yesterday. When he was less than thirty dickens was invited to visit scotland and there he received his first great national tribute a public banquet was given him in edinburgh and he was much sought after and entertained up to this time he had never seen the united states he decided now to visit this country and meet his american readers face to face he landed at boston accompanied by his wife in eighteen forty two and visited many of the greater cities of the eastern states everywhere he was counted the guest of the nation and the four months of his stay were one continual welcome unfortunately however dickens had taken a dislike to american ways and this dislike appeared in many things he wrote after his return to england the pictures he drew of american life in martin chuzzlewit were both unjust and untrue and made him for a time lose a large part of the good opinion which american readers had had for him dickens soon came to regret the writing of these chapters and when twenty-five years later he visited the united states a second time he did all in his power to show his kindly feeling and america admired and loved him so much that it gradually forgot the incident in the great pleasure with which it read his stories dickens was a very active man and his life was simple and full of work and exercise he rose early and almost every day might have been seen tramping for miles along the country roads or riding horseback with his dogs racing after him he liked best to wander along the cliffs or across the downs by the sea when he was in london he often walked the streets half the night thinking out his stories or searching for the odd characters which he put in them this natural activity and restlessness even led him sometimes to make political speeches and finally to the establishment of a new London newspaper, the Daily News, of which he was the first editor. Before this he had started a weekly journal, in which several of his stories had appeared, but it had not been very successful. It was not long before he withdrew also from this second venture. In the meantime he had met with both joy and sorrow. Several children had been born to him. His much-loved sister, his father, and his own little daughter the youngest of his family had died these sorrows made him throw himself into his work with greater earnestness he often found leisure to organize a theatrical company in which he himself acted with a number of other famous writers of the time which gave several plays for the benefit of charity one of these was performed before queen victoria people have often wondered how dickens found time to accomplish so many different things one of the secrets of this no doubt was his love of order he was the most systematic of men everything he did went like clockwork and he prided himself on his punctuality he could not work in a room unless everything in it was in its proper place as a consequence of this habit of regularity he never wasted time the work of editorship was very pleasant to dickens and scarcely three years after his leaving the daily news he began the publication of a new magazine which he called household words his aim was to make it cheerful useful and at the same time cheap so that the poor could afford to buy it as well as the rich his own story hard times first appeared in this with the earliest work of more than one writer who later became celebrated dickens loved to encourage young writers and would just as quickly accept a good story or poem from an unknown author as from the most famous It was while engaged in this work that Dickens wrote the best one of all his tales, David Copperfield, the one which is in so large a part the history of his own early life. This book brought Dickens to the height of his career. He was now both famous and rich. He bought a house on Gad's Hill, a place near Chatham, where he had spent the happiest part of his childhood, and settled down to a life of comfort and labor when he was a little boy his father had pointed out this fine house to him and told him he might even come to live there some day if he were very persevering and worked hard and so indeed it had proved perhaps it is in connection with the house on gad's hill that the world oftenest remembers dickens now every one old and young throughout the neighborhood liked him children dogs and horses were his friends his hand was open for charity and he was always the champion of the poor, the helpless, and the outcast. Every one, he thought, had some good in him, and in all he met he was on the lookout to find it. The great purpose underneath all his writings was, after all, to teach that every man and woman, however degraded, has his or her better side. So earnest was he in this, that he was not pleased at all when a person praised one of his stories, unless the other showed that he had grasped the lesson that lay beneath it text of Dickens's whole life and work is best expressed in his own words i hope to do some solid good and i mean to be as cheery and pleasant as i can the wrongs and sufferings of the young especially appeal to him and perhaps the most beautiful speech he ever made was one asking for money for the support of the london hospital for sick children he spoke often in behalf of working men and once he spoke for the benefit of a company of poor actors when unknown to him a little child of his own was lying dead at home with such a tender heart for all the world he was more than an affectionate father to his own children and gave much thought to their happiness and education in order that they should properly learn of their own country he went to the labor of preparing a child's history of england for them and at another time he wrote out the story of the gospels to help them in their study of the new testament as the years went by his letters to his oldest son, told of his own work and plans. When his youngest son sailed away to live in Australia, he wrote, "'Poor Plorn is gone. It was a hard parting at the last. He seemed to me to become once more my youngest and favourite child as the day drew near. I did not think I could have been so shaken. When he moved to Gad's Hill, it seemed as though Dickens had gained almost all of the things men strive most for. But he was not to be happy there.' nor, perhaps, was he ever again, to be really happy anywhere. He and his wife were very different in all their tastes and habits, and had never loved each other as well as people should when they marry. Perhaps, after all, it would have been better if in his youth he had married his Dora, the one whom he had pictured in the love story of David Copperfield and his child-wife. But, however this may be, Dickens and his wife had not lived happily together, and now decided to part, and from that time— though they wrote to each other, he never saw her again. It is sad to reflect that he who has painted so beautifully for others the joys and sorrows of perfect love and home was himself destined to know neither. The years that followed this separation were years of constant labor for Dickens. His restlessness, perhaps also his lack of happiness, drove him to work without rest. He wrote to a friend, "'I'm quite confident that I should rust,' break and die if i spared myself much better to die doing the idea of giving public readings from his stories suggested itself to him and he was soon engaged in preparation i must do something he wrote or i shall wear my heart away that heart his physician had declared out of order and this effort was destined to wear it away in quite another sense though for some time dickens felt no ill effects he gave readings, not only in England, but also in Scotland and Ireland, and everywhere he met with enormous success. The first series was hardly over when he was at work on a new story, and this was scarcely completed when he was planning more readings. The strain of several seasons of such work told on his health. A serious illness followed, and afterward he was troubled with an increasing lameness, the first real warning of the end. In spite of his weakness, he decided on another trip to America, and here, in 1867, he began a series of readings which left him in a far worse condition. Often at the close of an evening he would become so faint that he would have to lie down. He was unable to sleep, and his appetite entirely failed him. Yet his wonderful determination and energy made him able to complete the task. A great banquet of farewell was given to him in New York, and he returned to England bearing the admiration and love Of the whole american people before leaving england he had promised to give one other course of readings there and this promise after a summer's quiet at home he attempted to fulfill but he was too ill he found himself for the first time in his life feeling as he said giddy jarred shaken faint uncertain of voice and sight and tread and touch and dull of spirit he was obliged to discontinue the course and to rest this summer of 1869, the last summer of his life, was a contented and even a happy one. At home, at first in London, and later in the house on Gad's Hill, surrounded by his children and by the friends he loved best, Dickens lived quietly, working at his last story which his death was to leave forever unfinished, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. He attempted one more series of readings, and with their close, bade farewell forever to his English audience. He was seen in public but a few times more, once at the last dinner-party he ever attended, to meet the Prince of Wales and the King of the Belgians, and once when the Queen invited him to Buckingham Palace. Soon after, the end came. One day, as he entered the house at Gad's Hill, he seemed tired and silent. As he sat down to dinner, all present noticed that he looked very ill. They begged him to lie down. "'Yes, on the ground,' he said." these were the last words he ever uttered and as he spoke he slipped down upon the floor he never fully recovered consciousness and next day june ninth eighteen seventy charles dickens breathed his last five days later he was laid to rest in westminster abbey where are buried so many of the greatest of england's dead for days thousands came to visit the spot and rich and poor alike Looked upon his grave with tears. End of section 66. Recording by Samantha Miles. End of Tales from Dickens by Halley Erminy Rivas.